Section 13 of True Stories About Pets, edited by Jane Grey Swisshelm. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Farah Iftikhar. A Pet Bird by Mrs. M. O. Johnson. The parsonage, as it was called, was a large old-fashioned yellow house on the summit of a hill. It was built a little back from the road and had a dooryard in front enclosed by a neat white fence. On one side was a flower garden with green fields and woods beyond. On the other side the silvery river wound like a blue ribbon around the hill and across its waters gleamed the white village and church spire. Grand old elms shaded the house from the summer heat, and a black mulberry tree in the corner, with its wide-spreading branches, made a nice playhouse for the children, and gave them a yearly feast. For children there were seven, four girls, and three boys, and you may believe they had lively times. Their father was a country minister, with the small salary of country ministers in those days, it was many years ago, and he had his hands full, aided to the utmost by the thrifty mother, to feed and clothe them all. They had few books, and the beautiful toys children have now were unknown. But there were stories told by the fireside in winter evenings. There were sleigh rides and coasting frolics in plenty. There were homemade dollies and bits of crockery for dishes, carpenter's blocks and shingle boats. And in summer... There was merry outdoor life all day long. They had pets almost without number. The chickens, their own especial care. The horse, that the girls as well as the boys rode bareback without a thought of fear. A little brown dog, the best of playmates. Cats and kittens, and the birds that came every day to be fed. Their nests were in almost every tree, and the air was full of their glad music. They grew so tame that they would alight on the doorstep or windowsill to pick up crumbs, tip their pretty heads one side, and look up fearlessly with their bright black eyes into the faces bent over them. One day the girls found a young blue jay that had fallen out of its nest, or in some way lost its mother. They took him into the house and fed and tended him carefully, and he grew and throve till able to take care of himself. They never caged him, and after he was strong enough to fly, he had his full liberty outdoors. But the little creature did not forget the kindness he had received. He stayed near the house all summer, flying in and out as it suited him, perching on the shoulders of his friends and following them about like a dog. Every morning regularly, he flew into Anna's window, alighted on her pillow and tapped her eyelids gently till she would get up and give him his breakfast. He was very fond of curd, and this she usually gave him. Why he chose her window was best known to himself, for he was the pet of the family, but so it was, and he never made a mistake. So Anna would take a piece of curd upstairs at night to have it ready for his birdship when he made his early call. When he had satisfied his appetite, he would still linger, hopping about her room, now and then alighting on her shoulder or arm, asking in his own way for notice, and looking up in her face with his bright eyes when she talked to him, as if he understood every word. 
While she combed her hair, he would stand on her bureau watching her, would pick up her hairpins and hold them one by one in his beak till she took them from him. He would take a lock of her hair and draw it gently through his bill, another and another, till it was all crinkled on one side, in a way that now would be quite fashionable. Then he would hop across the bureau and dress the other side to match. When she was ready, he would fly out again, or go downstairs with her, and stay socially with the family at breakfast, as happened to suit his convenience. Of course, he had plenty to eat, and one morning, when a larger piece of curd was given him than he could dispose of at once, he carried it into the study, where the minister sat writing, in dressing gown and armchair, and perched on his shoulder. The old man kept perfectly still and allowed him to do just as he pleased. Very carefully he lifted the collar of the dressing gown, tucked in his curd snugly, and then, with an air of virtuous satisfaction, smoothed down the collar over it and took his way out of the window for his morning ramble. An hour or two afterwards he returned to the study. The minister still sat writing. The bird went straight to him, perched on his shoulder, lifted the collar, and took out his property. It was no uncommon thing for him to follow the girls when they went to walk or visit their young friends, but what was their surprise and perplexity one warm Sunday to see him come sailing into church? Yes, it was their own pet bird, as was evident from his cool society air as he surveyed the assembly perched on an old lady's bonnet. In those days, the bonnets were of a size sufficient to afford standing room for three or four like him. She gave a frightened start, Bob, and off he went, but only from a brown-trimmed bonnet to a grey one, and was beginning to raise a gale among the younger portion of the audience, when the minister rose in the pulpit, and Birdie, espying his old friend, flew directly to the well-known resting place on his shoulder. The next Sunday, Anna shut up the jay in the attic chamber. When she returned from church, she went upstairs to release him, never dreaming of having offended his majesty. But the moment she opened the door, he rushed at her as fast as his wings could carry him, and bristling with temper, gave her two or three pretty severe pecks with his sharp beak. This satisfied him, however. He never laid up any grudge, but was as friendly and affectionate as before. Well pleased was the roguish bird when he could find access to a work-basket. A spool afforded him great amusement. He would carry it off among the trees and with an end of the thread in his beak, fly from bow to bow, rolling it off and entangling it in the branches as fast as possible. No use to call him when thus engaged. He would come when it suited his own convenience. Several times he took possession of a thimble, much to its owner's vexation, and when tired of playing with it, left it wherever he happened to be. Such a search she would have in the grass to find it. It was provoking, indeed, but his friends winked at his ways. When the autumn days were short and the nights chilly, he departed with a flock of his kind to a sunnier clime. His friends missed him, and by their winter fire often mentioned him, recounting his pretty ways and sometimes asking one another, Do you think he will come back? But no one really expected he would fully remember his old haunts and frequent the houses had been his wont. Spring came again, 
with its warm sunshine and fragrant flowers and sweet bird songs. One of the first pleasant evenings the family were gathered, just after tea, in the wide, old-fashioned porch. Suddenly, a bird's cry, a loud, joyous note, startled them for an instant, and there, sailing over their heads, flapping his wings, alighting on one friendly shoulder and then another and another, rubbing his head against them to ask for caresses, and ever and anon uttering that eager, glad cry. There was their own blue jay. Every possible sign of delight the little creature showed, perched on the branches close by, or the honeysuckle vine entwining the porch, he sang his sweetest songs, and he returned to all the old ways, flying in and out and following his friends as before. End of section 13. Recording by Farah Iftikhar.